Hello, you wonderful woman. Welcome to the Love is Coming podcast. I'm your host, Persia Lawson, one of the UK's most successful love coaches, according to the Times Magazine, and author of the book, Love is Coming. It's my mission through this podcast to help single women, specifically female leaders, get powerful, soul-expanding relationships that revolutionize your growth, impact, and happiness during your time on planet Earth. Let's get straight to it. Hey loves, welcome back. I'm absolutely thrilled to have the gorgeous Phoebe Greenacre with us today. Now Phoebe is a spiritual business mentor, a somatic therapist and a devoted yogi whose mission is to guide women back to the truth of who they really are. She's also the creator of the incredible membership, the self-care space, the gorgeous sportswear brand, Silu. I hope I'm saying that right, Phoebe. Is that right? Yeah, you are. Yeah, good, good, good. that's right. <laughs> And also the Consciously Alive podcast, which I was very fortunate to be a guest on recently. So firstly, Phoebe, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Amazing. Thank you. Love that welcome. Such a beautiful introduction and I'm really well. Thank you. It's always um, it's always interesting, isn't it, to have someone read your sort of bio <laughs> out to you. A little bit confronting. It, like, oh, it? it is, it is. It's like having, you know, having to write your bio in the third person, like putting on your website. Well, I, I have, and I always think, God, that feels a little bit strange. But yeah. there we are. You are a lady of many accomplishments. And um, yeah, as I was researching for this episode, like you've, you've really had such an interesting journey in both your career, but also your love life. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So where I want to start, just to give our listeners a little bit of context and background into Phoebe. So on your website, it says, if I were to summarize my life's purpose so far in three words, they would be travel, entrepreneurship, and self-healing. These have been my core passion and adventures, as well as my greatest teachers. And I absolutely resonate with that myself. So can you give a little bit of background and insight into how these different themes sort of metamorphosed for you? Sure. I think growing up in Australia, I always was seeking out freedom, like breaking away from the norm um, of the, you know, the type of childhood that I had. And I, I, I started a very, at a very young age, I moved to Japan for a school exchange and I saved up for three years to make that happen. Wow. And when I got there at a young age of 16, I was like, this is, there's a whole nother world out here. And I, am here for it all. And I think that's when I kind of got the travel bug um, back in the day before they're, you know, still using digital cameras. Like I was there 18 years ago. So that just shows how long ago that was. So I loved being anonymous in a new country and a new city and just being able to strip away all of those things that people condition to who you are, where you grew up, what school you went to. And so when you got to a new city and I've tried Travel to like nearly 65, more than 65 countries now, you just get to be born again, mm-hmm. again and again. And I just love that uh, death and rebirth, or even just that process of metamorphosis of who you get to become in every single place. And that influence has then influenced how I wanted to live and how I wanted to create my career. Um, that And that's that innate entrepreneur in me who used to sell lemonade at, at the, you know, from lemons that was in my backyard or made uh, paperweights from rocks and would put glitter and faces on it <laughs> at a very, very young age of like five, hustling down the road, selling paperweights um, to have money. And I think that kind of 
combination of wanting to explore the world and then also realizing, okay, I'm going to need my own money to do this and really just hustling however I could to get to that place of exploration and freedom um, geographically. And then I suppose then on that journey, I did 30 countries before I was 30. It was like a little goal of mine. And that's how I ended up in London. I was like, okay, I need to be closer to the rest of the world because these airfares are killing me from Australia, like $3,000, $4,000 back in the day. So I landed in London. It was the first time that I'd really been in a more of a, not a stable kind of place, but I knew I was going to be in London for two years because my visa was there. So I was like, okay, it's a perfect time to do my yoga teacher training. I had practiced since I was 15 and I just never was in the place long enough or I hated committed committing to long-term, you know, YTTs or, you know, long-term training. So I was like, oh, that's very against my value of freedom. Mm -hmm. So I could never commit. And when I got to London, I was like, okay, I'm going to be here. I can commit to maybe a six month course every second Saturday and Sunday for six months. So that's when I really started my journey into self-healing, following that from my first 200 hours to then another 300 hours in somatics, psychology, and uh, uh, embodiment embodiment in yo- in the yoga term and then also through to somatic therapy healing after that and then continuing to add yin and pregnancy yoga and a lot of it I feel like I did it for myself healing myself journey I never I knew I never was going to be that full-time yoga teacher because I just my nervous system's not great with like getting on the tube getting off the tube um, running around in London and teaching too it was too much energy out so a lot of the course and the training I did um, was on the side of my travel blog that I had on the side of building Silu. And so I'm a manifesting generator. So I like juggling loads of things, but I suppose I keep coming back to myself and asking myself, what are my values? What are, what am I here for? And that freedom of travel um, and exploration of entrepreneurship, I, I keep starting new businesses and I just, I, I have to stop myself now. I'm like, that's enough. Just concentrate on the ones you have. Mm -hmm. Um, And self-healing, it keeps coming back to that. I just want to grow and learn and explore what the world has to offer and what what is there out there that I don't know. And I'm such a curious um, kind of being in, in in the realms of healing. I just, I like trying everything. Yeah. So I really resonate with everything you said, particularly around, I mean, the travel, the adventure, the freedom and the that that curious spirit to explore more and learn more. I'm interested to to know what the drawbacks potentially may have been that you have experienced from having that sort of personality. Of being curious, of of being curious or I guess the. I guess because I'm it's a leading question because I'm thinking myself like the mm. not so much the curious but the I guess the that growth mentality to get out there and explore because one thing I really heard you say that was like the wanting to start a lot of new businesses like you get a lot of clearly a lot of ideas and is that something that has whilst it's a great thing has that ever created any problems for you? Yeah, I suppose, you know, when I'm in my like zone of genius and in my energy, everything feels good. And it's when I 
get bored of something or something doesn't align with my values anymore, but I hold on to it because I've put so much time and energy into yeah. it. And I've probably stayed in places, jobs, careers, business, partnerships too long mm. because I'm hoping that it would change or that I would feel differently about it. But, you know, when push comes to shove and you get too uncomfortable being in that situation, that's when I'm like, I kind of wait till the last moment and be like, okay, it's time to jump off now. Mm. Rather than like seeing the signs and really acting on it, probably from a place of like, you know, growing up with not a lot and growing up with a bit more of like a scarcity mindset and being like, okay, but what happens if I leave this? Or what happens if I close down this business? Or what happens if this, you know, if I change or pivot? Mm. Yeah. Do you know what that made me think of? Everything you said there, I was like, oh, it just sounds like a lot of the women who come to work with me in relationships that essentially have passed their sell by date, but it's that thing of like, oh, maybe, you know, those red flags will will just sort of disappear on their own, or maybe mm-hmm. it'll change. And obviously, listen, I I personally watch my parents go from a very crippling drug addiction and work through it separately and together and come out the other side but I'm aware how rare that is Mm. and so I guess this is a perfect segue into talking about your Saturn return when you were 29 years old which I know was a very significant time for you in your romantic life and and actually in your career as well so firstly for anyone who doesn't know what a Saturn return is could you just speak to what is a Saturn return in the first place? And also, why do you think that this is such a pivotal time? It seems to me, particularly for women around their romantic life and career. Mm. I am not an astrologer, so this is just my understanding (laughs) of the Saturn return. Saturn, the planet, um, is at a certain kind of coordinate when you are born. And then once it makes a full circular kind of journey around the the time that you were born, around the sun, around the earth, one of of the planets, there's there's a 29, 30-year journey that it takes to end up in the exact same spot than when you were born. And it's almost like uh, everything that hasn't served you in that first 30 years of your life it really throws it up in your face and being like, you need to look at this because mm-hmm. if you, if it's, if you don't look at it now, we're going to take it on to the next 30 years of this journey. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a very, it comes again around 59, 60. Um, and so it's this big kind of life chapter that almost closes or dies of anything that's really not served you in that lifetime. So mm-hmm. normally loads of things happen. And I just got goosebumps even saying that, like, mm-hmm. for me, it was, I quit my job. Um, I took a big holiday. My boyfriend broke up with me. I was homeless, jobless, penniless. Um, I remember like vomiting and being so sick from heartache mm-hmm. and from disappointment and, you know, being played a fool at that point, I remember, and I'd never been that sick from heartache. Like when you're like, like completely don't know how I got here. And I was like, wow, how did I get here? How did I get into this place where I'm about to turn 30 and I'm supposed to be celebrating the woman that I'm becoming and like my success and my career. And, you know, I thought we were getting engaged and all of these kind of pivotal moments literally had the towel pulled out from under me and be like, here, how about starting over and only consciously choosing who and what you want to put your energy into? So it was like a completely blank slate, which mm-hmm. is refreshing, but also 
fucking scary to be like, I am no longer this person's boyfriend or partner. I am no longer this marketing director. I am no longer, you know, I'm, yeah, having financial freedom and being able to go on holidays and all this kind of things. It came back to like, what are you, what are you with all of those things taken away? Who are you with all of those things taken away? And it gives you a beautiful opportunity to have a being dark night of the soul and really reflect on what it is you want to take into this next chapter. Mm, and so it's so much around identity, isn't it? And the identity yeah. you want to step into. Okay, so how on earth did you move through that? Because I had a similar experience where like every, everything sort of got taken away in a week. <laughs> lost my acting agent. My boyfriend dumped me. Lost all of my savings in a just a nightmare situation. That was when I was, I think I was 25, 25 or 26, possibly 26 actually. Um, and I, I really identify with that sense of terror. <laughs> but also I, I look back now and go, that's the reason I have everything good in my life today. So I'm just curious yeah. to know, like, what specifically did you do when all those things fell apart? Yeah, I partied a lot, which was <laughs> not, not the, the, the way, <laughs> you know, it wasn't the, the, but I think everyone kind of goes through that, like, hurt stage mm-hmm. and, um, revenge body and, you know, being mm-hmm. sick from heartbreak, you lose a lot of weight. And mm-hmm. again, it wasn't, it, I didn't want that. I didn't want to be in that party scene anymore. I didn't like, it was so unsatisfying for me. Um, and so when I wasn't partying, I was going to yoga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, you know, a really balanced, um, mm-hmm. time in my life. It was, um, yeah. And yoga. And I would go religiously like every single day. It was the only thing that I would spend money on, um, Mm. that at that time. Mm. And it was going to therapy and going to chakra healers and, you know, go, you know, putting all of my energy in my money. I would cook every meal at home. It was really like basic bitch style, um, so that I could spend my money on healing. Cause I knew I was like, the pattern keeps coming back. I need to heal whatever it is. You know, you always have the breakup. You're like, oh, it's them, it's them, it's them. But I think we said this in in the podcast we had together that the only common denominator with all of your failed relationships is you. Yeah. And so it was that point in my life was like, okay, I have to take responsibility for my communication style, my attachment style, and looking for that other person to make me whole and fill me up. Mm. And it was like, okay, I need to take action and power back into my own hands and really fill my cup up first. Um, And again, just going back to trusting the universe. I think at 30, uh, about to turn 30, you think your life is over when all of this happens. Mm. Like 30, you're supposed to have everything sorted, have the dream career, have the husband, the house, the kids, whatever it looks like. Um, 30 is not the time for, mm. to have everything sorted. It's going to be a time where you maybe have to relook at everything. And you may have turned 29 and 30 and being oblivious to your Saturn return and be like, I was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't, it's not always tumultuous. It, it may be just, you know, a, a change in career or a change in outlook or more self-awareness. Mm. Um, there's definitely a shift that happens there. But yeah, it was in, in terms of uh, romantic kind of relationships, it was, 
I hated being made a fool of yeah. trusting someone that much. And when you spend, I think we spent like three or four weeks in Singapore, Sri Lanka, India, um, the Maldives on this amazing holiday that was like kind of like our two-year anniversary. I thought it was going to propose, like all that kind of stuff. We we're picking rings out in India. And then we get back and he breaks up with me. So I'm like, what? Mm. Why didn't I see this coming? Like, you know, and then really just doing the doing the inner work and starting that journey of like, why didn't I see the signs or, you know, and, and again, healing from the base level. Like I have nothing left. I have nothing to like prop me up at the moment. I have to be comfortable in the uncomfortability of this heartache and this time of death. Mm. Death and rebirth, absolutely. And, um, you know, I just wanted to point out for anyone listening, I have a lot of women who come to work with me in their late 30s or even sort of early to mid 40s who they they ticked all the boxes by the time they were 30. They got the, you know, they had the career, they had the partner. Some some of them, you know, got pregnant and had kids. And, and then they went through a really painful, bitter divorce later on. And so it's, you know, I think we've really been sold a lie by the media and society that, that has, and, and men don't get this in the same way at all, but women brainwashed into thinking like that, that your security lives in, it really is about ticking those boxes. And it's like, if you can do those before you're 30, then you're going to be fine for the rest of your life. And that just is not realistic and also mm. would be really fucking boring it's like also for the rest of your life which is you know we're living a lot longer now it's just going to be the same thing and there's not going to be anything to to learn and grow and evolve through so that's the first thing I wanted to say and the second thing is what I'm really hearing from what you shared there Phoebe is how much of it is about radical responsibility self-responsibility taking ownership because it's really easy it would have been really easy for you to, and I'm sure there was a part of this at the time, but to look at your your ex and you know blame him and 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 just go into the bitterness of it. But actually, what you did is like, what do I need to learn from this in order to rebuild my life on solid, more solid, healthier foundations? And so, what would you say was the main, the number one sort of lesson that you took from that experience? Many, but we'll start with. Your man is not your plan mm -hmm. because I had brought, been brought up in a family where my mom didn't work and my dad supported the, our whole family. So, and she relied on that kind of uh, structure, um, which meant that she didn't have the freedom to leave if something went wrong or something went bad. And I suppose that was a, a wake up call for me because I was thinking, yeah, you know, I, you know, I trusted him that I was able to quit my job and start my side hustle and that kind of thing. So that was like an, a very like uh, material kind of lesson. Your man is not your plan. Create your own success and then attract someone as equally successful to you or, you know. Um, and then, yeah, not, um, not thinking that your, your life is over at 30 or that you need to get everything sorted at 30. I'm 38 now, mm -hmm. and it's still a journey of learning and healing and unlearning and taking responsibility for, you know, arguments. And, you know, it's not all uh, fairy tales and Disney movies and being swept off your feet. No. Well, that leads us nicely on to the next, the next segment, so to speak. So 38 now, you're going through this really, really, you know, massive shift 
around 30. So lots happened in that time. And I know that now you are living in Bali with your husband and there's a mm-hmm. whole new story that's happened for you since you turned 30. So, yeah. so what happened? Tell us, how did you meet? What happened? What's the story? Yeah. And the, yeah, the experience that you've been on since your Saturn returns. Sure. So about a year later, um, I looked up to see where I could live in the world with a visa and London, the UK as being an Australian, you could get a two year working visa pretty easily. And I bought a one-way ticket and got on the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, and after a few months of solo travel around Europe, I landed back in London at my sister's apartment. Um, and I went out to a dinner with a friend of a friend that I met and my husband was brought along by my friend. Um, and we sat across the table. Um, it wasn't like an initial kind of like, oh, he's going to be my husband, but I was drawn to him. I was magnetized to his energy and we swapped stories. We swapped Facebook because back then that's what <laughs> we did. Um, and we, we were, I was kind of intrigued by his story and the background um, of who he was. And we had so many similar interests of traveling, running our own business, um, skiing or snowboarding, and just like loving, you know, traveling and and being a stranger in the world. So that kind of hit off our connection. And he went back to Kenya for the first time for since uh, 20 years. So he had not been there to meet his mom. And I went um, traveling again around Christmas and we met up again in January for what I thought would be just like a drink and to catch up to see how his um, how his trip went. And then six cocktails later, <laughs> he was putting me into a cab like a gentleman he was and I gave him a big kiss. So mm-hmm. that's how we met. Mm. And it kind of spiralled very quickly. We went into six weeks of, you know, dating Friday and Saturday night and then we pretty much moved in. So it was very fast, very intense, very passionate um, and yeah, we, we, we dated for about three years, um, before I kind of went through another, uh, let's call it our journeys were going in different ways. And I was still on this spiritual path of, uh, wanting to get my, to know myself better. I started studying somatic therapy and I was going and doing like a month stint in Bali at a time and, I uh, would come back and be, just wanting to talk about our emotions and talk about, um, you know, our past and really getting to know each other more. And he really, really put a block or a wall up against that. It was like, I don't have any, I don't need to, we're fine. And our kind of relationship style was we just didn't see eye to eye in our communication. There was a lot of anger and there would be a lot of like slamming doors and walking out when we had a fight and was an adult and I didn't have capacity to hold my emotions at that time and he didn't have the capacity or the communication skills to like meet me where I needed to be met Mm. and I was like let's go to therapy let's have a somatic therapy session let's you know I want to work on this and he just wasn't in a place where he wanted to do that. He was like, no, I'm fine. I've dealt with my stuff. It's your problem. You are the thing, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so after a trip to Bali, um, I came back and, and just was like, I'm, I'm breaking up with you um, because I, I were going in different pathways. I've asked you to meet me halfway. And yeah, I moved to the other side of London and kind of, we went our separate ways. Like life um, continued on without each other in our lives, which was painful for me to do because 
you know, I think I was 33 or 34 and I had my mom in my ear going, you can't be single now. Like you'll never find someone. And like, what are you doing? Alex is a lovely guy. And I had to listen to my intuition. I'd spent the last three, four years getting to know me better. And when something doesn't sit right in my gut, in my sacral center, I'm like, it's a hell yes or a hell no. And it was a hell no for me at that time. So we went our separate ways um, and continued on our separate journeys until six months later, we ran into each other on Parsons Green Station randomly where we used to live in East London now, and now we ran into each other in West London. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was kind of a, a fate meeting was the next start. You know yeah. So Parsons Green is where I had my book launch for my first book. <laughs> ah, amazing. So I know it very well. My dad actually used to have estate agents around there. So that's really interesting. Of yeah. all the places in London. Okay. I know. Wow. So then what happened? Like how did, how did it move forward from there? Um, I, I actually was really honest with him and said, you look terrible. Like, what are you doing? Like we said, hi. And I was checking him out from behind at the station. And I didn't think it was here. Like, I didn't think he would be there. And he turns around and I've got this shock of my lifetime. Like, oh my goodness. Like just not expecting it. Um, but yeah, we got chatting and I was like, what are you doing here? You look so tired. And my, my husband's black and he doesn't crack, right? He doesn't get baggy, like bags under these eyes or look tired. And he looked terrible. And I was like, what are you doing? You look terrible. And he's like, oh, I've been meditating like two hours in the morning and the evening. I went to Vipassana in Costa Rica and he went on this like whole soul journey and met his ego. And, you know, he went through this whole kind of transformation himself. So I was just really shocked that he had gone through this and he, you know, he seemed different. He felt different. His energy was definitely different. And it wasn't like a, oh, let's get back together. I want to date you. Like, I was not looking for anything. I was so happy with my life. I think I was just finished dating someone. So I was like anti-man. I was like, no, no, no. Um, and the attraction wasn't there. I was like, that was not what where we were going to. Yeah, I did, it didn't hit me at start where that was going to be the end. But we started hanging out. My sister is in town and just like, you know, we're going to this festival or, or mutual friends were going to this. And we just ended up being each other's orbit a little bit. Mm. And yeah, we, he was like, we started dating again and he said, I want to be better this time. And I want to, you know, I will go to therapy when things get tough and I want to do all of these things. And that's all I really wanted. I didn't, Mm. I didn't fall out of love with him because, you know, he was a bad person or we didn't have similar interests. It was because he didn't want to do the work and I, you can't Mm. do the work just one person if you want to grow and, you know, have a 70 year old relationship with them. So that was kind of like, well, you want to do the work. Let's, let's try it. So, um, fast forward six months later, um, we got engaged in Prague on Christmas day and yeah, which was really sweet and lovely. And, you know, one of the things that I had to be quite firm with, he was like, let's move back in together and let's, you know, we live in both live in Fulham now, let's do it. And I was like, well, we know we live together, a happy household for three years. We know we clean and we know we can, you know, we like good food and, you know, we work well. Mm -hmm. So no, only you get me when we're married. And so Mm -hmm. I put it all out there on the table because, 
you know, those moments of where my mom's like, you know, he won't propose if he's getting sex and food (laughs) (laughs) all the time. And, but also I was like, if this is going to be forever, I don't want to give up sleeping in the middle of the bed. I don't want to give up the whole, the half of the wardrobe. And there was these things that I kind of got used to as a, you know, in my prime and enjoying life. And I don't really need to give up that to, to welcome someone back in. We don't need to go back into a living coexistence. So I put my foot down um, and we didn't move in together until like uh, nearly a year later. And I enjoyed that, you know, just that datingness of like going to your house or sleeping over your house or dressing up and them not seeing you be in your pajamas and go through that transformation into Friday night sexy date outfit. (laughs) Wow, I love that. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Okay, right. So following on from that. So look, you're a very prolific businesswoman, Phoebe. You know, you've created a lot over the years and you've been through such a journey with that. And I'm interested to know like how you feel your work and love life have impacted and influenced one another as you've gone through that journey, both negatively and positively. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there has been times where you know, I've neglected, I've definitely put my business first or career first and and same with my husband as well. And I suppose relationship has come second or it's whatever's left over, um, which hasn't been great for when, you know, we would do a date night every week. I would organize, he would organize, but you know, if I was away for work or he, that would slip. So in, uh, in, 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 in terms of career, he's just been my biggest cheerleader. He's a consultant himself. So he's just been the best kind of support when I'm overwhelmed and got so much going on. The positive thing has always been there to hold that, to pick up the pieces when I'm having an emotional breakdown um, or just feeling like I can't do it anymore. So positive would be that you know, I just had this biggest cheerleader. And when you're your own, you know, you're at the top of the game in your own kind of business, you, it's lonely and there's no one saying, well done, you get an early mark or take yourself out to lunch. Like no one's there telling you that. So it was really nice to have, you know, a cheerleader along the the good times and the bad times to have that support, but definitely our careers and business kind of travel um, you know, took precedent over our relationship. So it's only been since we really got to Bali, um, have we been able to schedule in a weekly date that doesn't include just eating because we can get into that habit of like, let's just have a meal together or some wine together. So actually doing something fun and and really inviting that um, play element because that's when you flirt and have, you know, that, that kind of, um, essence of like, oh yeah, you're my, I, I like what I see here and, you know, you're fun and that kind of thing. So, um, that has been a a blessing. Uh, we play tennis, so it was very competitive. So tennis, badminton, um, we might go jump on the back of a bike and go like rock climbing or go into a waterfall, um, or just getting lost in, in Bali. We really sometimes just jump on the back of the bike. And it was one of my kind of dreams or visions to be on a bike in Bali on behind my husband mm. behind my hot husband and just being mm. like oh, we have, the world is our oyster and we yeah. can do whatever we want god I so relate to that because Joe and I we travel a lot and he's he's always the one riding the bike and I'm on the back and I just like 
it just feels so free and it feels just so exciting and yeah I love that I love that and that's definitely something I know I need to work on because we're very good at doing that when we're away when we're traveling Mm. but like you said it's very easy to slip into ruts and like you know going out food it's not that that's bad but it's like no you know there's other things to do as well yeah yeah one thing one thing that's easy to do in London we did the A to Z of dating (gasps) so you go through the alphabet and you like take turns each week so your week you go first you do something starting with A so you've got to find something in London that starts with A. It might be, I can't think of anything right now, but like apple bobbing or <laughs> alpine something or, and you go what back I thought and was forth. much ruder than either of those. My <laughs> What was yours? What came to you? I mean, I your think mind yes, work? what begins with A that my, my lovely fiance, Joe would probably be thrilled about if I said, right, I'm starting with A and it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you don't need to be in London for that. You can be absolutely yeah. bloody anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I'll so leave that to that's fun. Like mini golf. Like we we did some crazy things like um, to, to get, we only got to about L or K before pandemic hit. So right. we need to pick that up, but that's well, fun. Could, yeah. That, okay. I'm, I'm really inspired. I'm going to actually make a note. I'm actually yeah. literally going to make a note. Making a, a note. Dating. Excellent. Yeah. Um, okay. Right, Phoebe, you've been the most amazing guest. We we have got a few more questions left. I like to call these the home straight questions as we're coming into land. So what love life advice would you give to your 15-year-old self? <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. You're going to get your heart breaking, broken. Um, you... You don't know the power that you hold. So don't give it away just because you have a crush on a guy. I mean, I was a, I was a brought up very strict Christian, so I didn't even have sex until I was 18. And so, like, that unknowing between 15 and 18 was just like, like, I had no idea. No idea. But, yeah, definitely, like, you hold the power and don't just be, like, fall over any kind of cute guy or, you know, anyone that gives you attention. Just, like, you go for the person that you like and don't don't settle. Yeah. You know, that feels absolutely relevant to sort of career as well, doesn't it? I've found more and more, like, over time how much the love, love, love life advice I'll give, romantic advice I'll give, I'm like, God, that's so specific and, and relevant to our careers mm-hmm. knowing your power and not settling and knowing knowing your boundaries and and I yeah. guess having respecting yourself yeah 100% love it yeah what's one thing you don't want people to know about you I'm such an open book um <laughs> I'm trying to think uh I mean I, I get really hungry if I haven't eaten and I'm, I'm, my, my metabolism is really fast. So I have, I'm a pitta in Ayurvedic dosha. So I just like, yeah, I get hungry really quickly. And if I don't eat or if I skip a meal, like I'll get a headache and I'll get angry. So yeah, there is when people think that I'm really calm and chilled when I don't, if you don't feed me, I'm going to get angry. Yeah. And it's going to be all your fault. <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you the amount of fights I've had with Joe in like random markets around the world because he like, oh, I want to look at this trinket. And I'm like, I need to eat. <laughs> like, and then I've stormed off and been like, I don't even have any way to like reconnect with you because my phone doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I relate to hangriness. Okay. So where can people find out more about your work before our last question? 
Sure. Um, PhoebeGreenacre.com. Everything's on my website. I'm Phoebe Greenacre on Instagram. Everything's there. Mm-hmm. Both website and Instagram. Yeah. And we'll link those in the show notes too. Okay. So final question, Phoebe. What is the number one piece of advice you would give to any single woman who is listening, who is thriving in her career, but she's struggling in her love life? Hmm. So two things, one more strategic as in stop going to places where there's going to be a thousand women and one men, like Mm -hmm. go strategically flip your strategy around where you hang out and who you hang around so that there's, you're already in a minority. Like you are going to be, there's two women there and 20 men because it just, it's probability, right? Mm -hmm. Like, That is just more of a strategic moment, um, strategic part of, uh, piece of advice. And then the other thing is like make it a priority for, for meeting. So if you're not going on dates or you're not open to going on dates or you're like, um, you know, whether it's dating apps or putting on your taxi light. I think we talked about this yes. when we, we chatted, but when you go into a cafe or a coffee shop, or at the bar at a drink, or in the tube. Like, if you see someone that's cute, smile at them. Like, Mm -hmm. be open. Put your taxi light on, the yellow taxi light in New York. I've got this visualisation of, you know, let people know that your energy is open and ready, you know. And often or not, you know, I think some people get really, like, um, protective with their kind of openness, like, oh, he's not cute. I'm not going to talk to them. He's not, you know, my ideal 10. I'm not going to talk to him. But you never know if you're just kind and open-hearted and you take it, you you know, you have a drink with someone that maybe not your 10, he may Mm. have a brother that's perfect for you. (laughs) Well, you know, He may have a best friend that's perfect for you. He may say, hey, do you want to come over and join my group? And you talk to someone and you're like, wow, if I was a rude bitch at the counter, I wouldn't be Mm. here right now. 100%. I always say that when I met my fiancé, Joe, for like a good few weeks, I said to all my best friends, he will never be my boyfriend. That man will never, that guy will never be my boyfriend. They were like, why not? And it's because I was like so resistant to it because it was too easy. But you can be surprised. Like, like give give it a chance. You just don't know. You just Mm -hmm. don't know what can happen. Yeah. Phoebe, you've been the most amazing guest. Thank you so much for coming on. I hope everyone has loved this conversation as much as I have. Thank you so much for having me, Persia. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope this episode served you and gave some practical insights and strategies around the next steps in transforming your love life from the inside out. Do come and let me know over on Instagram what resonated for you the most and why. I am at Persia Lawson. And if you want more tips and tools on how to become a vibrational match for the powerful, committed relationship that you deserve, check out my book, Love is Coming, as well as my programs and coaching containers over at persialawson.com. This website is also linked in this episode's show notes. And if you got value from this episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd like, subscribe, share, and or leave a quick review. This helps the podcast rank higher so it can reach other women who want or need the support. And to have your question answered, send it over to podcast at persialawson.com and we'll get to it ASAP. Until next time, I want you to remember that love is coming for you. But in the meantime, it's your responsibility to stop looking outside of yourself for the partner you want to get and start looking inside of yourself for the partner you want 
to be.